two small coats and large popcorn with myself, Rob, and Sarah. Hello. Right, so hopefully people have had a chance to listen to episode one. This is still pretty brand new. This is episode two. And the whole idea of the show is that we try and encourage people to watch movies. Sarah has a list of her favourite movies or movies she wants to watch again. I do the same. We split them up into genres. And every week we pick a film for each other and we both watch the films. You guys at home can watch along. Yep. And we then get together a week later and talk about them. Yeah, so remind the listeners what we chose. What did you choose last week? So I chose for you in your favourite genre, westerns, (laughs) of which I believe you have very few on your list, if any. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I chose The Good, The Bad and The Ugly for you. Can I explain why I'm not a big fan of westerns? And I don't, I don't really know what it is. It's just the fact that when I was a kid, we watched TV series of westerns when we were waiting for our Sunday lunch to be cooked. And I think it was, it's either a hunger thing, or it's just I've watched really bad western TV series. <laughs> so it's one or either or. But I am actually prepared to open my mind. And watch more westerns believe it or not awesome well i've got to be honest that there aren't I, I genuinely don't think there are actually that many great iconic westerns anyway and they don't tend to veer from a particular type of theme mm. um so i reckon it's you know quite often people won't have many westerns but i think it's totally forgivable Okay, great. Thank you. I've got the sign-off from, from Rob there. <laughs> <laughs> it, means, it means a great deal to you. I can tell. It means a great deal to you. It's very, very important. Um, and you chose for me? I had... You chose animation, and it was The Croods. Which is pretty cool, because I have never seen The Croods. Not only had never seen The Croods, I didn't know anything about it, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't be a film that I would kind of seek out to watch. Mm-hmm. Well, so I deliberately good. went into it not wanting to know too much about it. And I did manage to watch it with my children because Excellent. I kind of felt that's the thing. The thing with uh, animations I find is that animations, Disney, I suppose, have always had a broad appeal. But on the whole, they're kind of made for children. Yeah. Whereas more recently, especially with the Lego, the Lego movies, there's a portion of the film which is almost designed to chime with the, the mums and dads, whether it's a bit of a snarky comment or a joke or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. But, but I do sometimes just like to watch a film with the target audience. And so that's what I did for The Croods. Actually, while we're on it, why don't we start with The Croods as, a, as our review? Yeah. Okay, come then. Do you want to see what do you want to set up the crudes briefly before i give my my opinion yeah sure so in a nutshell it's a great family film um it's set in caveman times and we've got a family of six including mum dad brother baby sister daughter grandma and they are set living in caveman times and the daughter comes across the next evolution of man let's just call it but There are meteors, earthquakes, etc. coming, which the next evolution of man knows, but the crudes don't know. So he's trying to take them to 
the Tomorrowland where they'll be safe. So I, I like it. The reason why I like it is because it's colourful um, and they've got some all sorts of weird, wonderful creatures in it. But I bet you didn't know that whales actually did have legs as uh, uh, in, in, in those days. So I actually looked it up. <laughs> Do whales have legs? <laughs> Is it one of those? Was it one of those? Was it one of those Google search terms you put in, thinking no one's ever put this into a Google search? Probably not. And, and suddenly and actually, it just crops up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, actually, other people obviously have as well. <laughs> anyway, what I didn't know also that it was a story by John Cleese and Kirk D'Amico as well. So something new there. And um, they originally created the story for Ardman, but it ended up being a DreamWorks picture. But yeah, I laughed out loud multiple times and my kids did too. So for me, I like it. It's a lovely family film. Over to you then, Rob. What's your thoughts? Well, I really, I really enjoyed it. I, going back to what I was saying earlier, for me, it wasn't one of those movies, like I say, animated films that was, you know, almost 80% for the kids and there's a 20% bit over here for the parents where there might be a kind of an in-joke for the parents that you do get with some, some, you know, family animated films. The fact that it's just for kids. I sat down and watched it with the, with the children. They, they were laughing out loud after about five minutes. Yeah, that's um, good. And I, for me, that just uh, immediately, that kind of told me everything I needed to know. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it had a, I thought it had a real kind of um, warmth to it. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it had a very, you know, often these these films need to kind of hang on a, they need to hang on a certain message, don't they? Uh, it's always a positive message. Uh, this was, this seemed to me to be a message about, you know, being courageous enough to, you know, to run towards the light, as it were, to, to kind of put yourself out of your comfort zone and, and um, you know, for the, for the good of everyone and for the good of yourself. And, and, obviously, and, it, and they also had a really nice, you know, quite a simple, but a really nice, um, some really nice family messages in there, you know, between the main character, which is the dad, Grug, and, yeah. the, da- and the daughter, is it Epa? I think it's Eep. Uh, Eep, yeah. So Eep. That's Nick, right, Eep. Nick Cage's dad and Emma Stone is Eep. Yeah, yeah so that, that was kind of the main character storyline running through it. I really liked the fact that there was Eep, who was the kind of tearaway daughter who was, you know, ready to take on the world, who wanted to see what life was like beyond the cave. Um, and it was her kind of sense of adventure and rebelliousness to kind of drag her father along with her mm-hmm. very much kind of wanted to stick with the status quo and then eventually um because they have no choice and they start off on this they go off on this massive quest with this guy ryan reynolds ryan reynolds precisely um yeah i just i thought it was as i say so kind of for themes i just thought it was really nice mm-hmm. i thought the animation was really really good i mean 2013 this was made um, we're already well, you know, so that's seven or eight years on, really, from when it was made, and I thought the animation was amazing. There's a, there's a really really great opening sequence that just nicely kind of sets up the whole prehistoric era. We're immediately into a, I don't think it takes long before we're immediately into a kind of fun chaotic kind of opening opening sequence. There's a few standouts for me character wise. One was the the Gran. Yeah, uh, she's funny. Granny 
granny cave man or cave woman i can't remember what her actual name <laughs> is. she's she's fantastic she's almost like super grand she just doesn't care yeah, 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 yeah. uh and she's great and the kids thought she was hilarious anything she did they just started laughing straight away uh i also but didn't you notice she was a lot skinnier than the others the others were big and strong and they could throw rocks and people and i know and all sorts and they were hugely strong and then guy was a little bit weedy really but he was clever he had a brain and he could create things and uh, there was a, things like that there was a scene at the end i think where eats hand held hands with guy's hand and you just saw the two hands come together Mm. And my son just suddenly, it was a very poignant moment. And my son just said, why are his fingers so long? Which, which I thought, <laughs> I thought how, to, how to ruin a moment. But yeah, the, the, uh, yeah the, the figures, the way in which they were kind of animated and brought to life were quite, were quite I thought really quite fun, really. And especially the grand, like you say, she looks so withered. And yet she's, yeah, she's up for anything, strong as an ox. And that's, I guess, where... Eep gets her, you know, gets her characteristics yeah, yeah. from and her traits from. Um, so the Graham was great. Eep's little sister, who yeah. is this, yeah. <laughs> she's great. She's like that tiny tot who is still biting everything. I thought that was really fun. And then you've got the kind of a slightly slowish, oafish son called Thunk, almost like kind of teen, I suppose, but I don't know, mm -hmm. of the family. Yeah, I just thought it was just just really good, really colourful. But uh, yeah, I think I think the thing for me is it, it was just it was just really warm, light-hearted, nice message, loads of fantastic set pieces, great animation. So I just thought it was great. I was really quite surprised. There were some similarities, I think, with some other films. So I think Eep was very similar to Meredith from Brave. And I think the kid, the uh, the baby sister, was very similar to the kid in uh, A Good Dinosaur as well. Yeah, I mean, who wouldn't follow Ryan Reynolds to the Tomorrowland? I certainly would. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if I would. I don't know if I, I don't know how keenly I would be following him, but I, I think I could understand what you're saying. And actually, I looked at my hands as well when they did the hand thing, and I thought, oh, my hand's a bit like Eeps. <laughs> Perhaps I could do mountain climbing or free solo. I don't know. I've got strong arms. There you go. You see, it's an, <laughs> um, it's, girl. it's inspired you to take up. It's inspired you to take up climbing. You know. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, fantastic. So I, yeah, I really, I really liked it. Really liked what it. What would you I, rate it? What you well, rate it? I would say. Out of ten, I'm going to give it seven. Yeah, I would probably give it seven out of, out of ten as well. Actually, um, it, it's not it's not my favourite animation, but it's one I wanted to watch again. And I think that's what we've got in our list, haven't we? We've got ones we want to watch again from when we were a bit younger, and you know, before kids potentially as well. To nowadays, you know. Yeah, and and you've got. I mean. It's one of those ones, it's a 7 out of 10, but you can't really fault the film. The only reason it's a 7 and not a 10 is just because it, it's not doing more than, if you like, it says on the tin, but it does it very, very well. So, like, it's hugely enjoyable. And, they, yeah, that, that's that's the reason it's 7 out of 10. So, big thumbs up for that one. Yay! Well done, the crew, 7 out of 10. On to... Go on, you can do the music because you're better at doing it than I was last week. Well, well, well. Well, well, well. Ernio Morricone has interrupted my life for the last three days 
I have not got this music out of my head. Yeah, it's, a, <laughs> it's, it's like a, a Kylie Minogue song. And that's where the similarity ends, I would say. <laughs> I would say so. It's, an, it's a, certainly a bit of an earworm. I mean, it's good, the bad and the ugly, obviously, is the film we're talking about. It's a film, 1966. It is the third of three films directed by Sergio Leone, and it's one of the definitive spaghetti Western films. So this is a series of Western filmmaking that was going on in Italy at a time when the traditional Western film was almost becoming quite parodied in the States, and it wasn't really that popular. Clint Eastwood was, at the time, finishing up on Rawhide, which again was quite a safe traditional TV series that established him in this particular genre. And it was just after he finished on that that he got this call from Sergio Leone, quite an an unknown director in Italy, who asked if he'd want to come over and star in the first of these uh, in the trilogy, Fistful of Dollars. So that started a collaboration really between Clint Eastwood and Sergio Leone that spanned these three films. In terms of the storyline, in all honesty, of all three films, they're pretty similar. They tend to be about one or two gunslingers who are all after a chunk of money, really. Um, All bounty Mm -hmm. hunters who find themselves all scrambling, trying to get to the money um, before anybody else. I mean, it's a very simplistic way of putting it but to be quite honest the films are are quite simplistic you know they weren't known for any complex story what um, Sergio Leone was was wanting to do was to portray these um, iconic characters with a bit of a moral ambiguity traditionally in westerns you had good versus evil and it was all they're also quite clean cut characters the violence wasn't particularly in your face and he wanted to just look at making a far more grown-up version of westerns and obviously it had that italian influence so that's what the spaghetti westerns were known for they were very gritty some of them were quite violent rough around the edges but they were quite epic uh, very epic in in the scale of them set a set, you know set against obviously the uh, a far different landscape albeit supposed to be you know the united states but obviously filmed over in europe so the good and bad the ugly was filmed in spain as it happened but we're talking about co-production with spain west germany uh, and the united states at this point so by the time they got to the good the bad and the ugly after the first two films fistful of dollars few dollars more and the good, the bad, the ugly. It was quite a hefty budget because I had American money. Um, and I thought that was quite noticeable. It's, it's a far more kind of violent film than the two previous. Not surprisingly, it's based around three characters in, in this film, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And as I say, yes, this is Clint Eastwood who plays the good. Um, it's quite a long film, isn't it, Sarah? It is. I mean, I, I actually watched the, um, on Netflix, is the extended English version. At two hours, I think it was two hours, 58 minutes. Um, and at first when I saw that, I thought, oh my goodness, Rob, what have you given me? A really long film. But actually, you can stop and start it as well, because there is times like in one hour in the, into the film and then one hour, 29 minutes, to be very precise, into the film, you can kind of stop 
and go make a cuppa or you know leave it there and watch the next day if you wanted to but what i what i'm in awe of is that they managed to roll out all three year after year you don't get any films like avengers or anything like that that can roll it out from 1964 to 1966 three spaghetti westerns so that's quite impressive in itself and i'm wondering whether they actually just stayed out in spain or italy wherever they filmed it out in their outback um and just stayed there and just shot the whole lot uh, in one go well there was a lot of um uh, this is quite common i believe but a lot of the sets that were used, a lot of the sets were used across all three films in this particular case. Um, so they were quite, yeah, they're quite resourceful. I mean, I, I think it's amazing that even though they were produced uh, in Italy over a three or four year period, they were released in the States, all three of them during the same year. But yeah, what did you think of the style? Because when I watched it, I thought, my God, you watch the opening title sequence and you hear yeah. that amazing music. And the opening title sequence in itself is so innovative. It, it almost, it almost it reminded me of James Bond in it in a weird way. Yeah. Well, actually, I think I've also subconsciously been watching Westerns through Star Wars and actually more recently The Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus. Mando in The Mandalorian is the spit of... Clint Eastwood, he talks, sounds like him. And at the end of the credit, uh, at the end of the film with the credits, they've got exactly the same as what they've got in the start of The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, this graphic sort of recap of the film uh, with, yeah, with the credits. And it's, um, I thought there's so much similarity there from John Farrow, who actually developed, the, um, that actually created the, the Mandalorian uh, with George Lucas. Um, yeah, lot, he's obviously a fan of the spaghetti westerns let's just say but uh, for the good the bad and the ugly um it's set in uh, american civil war time in between uh, 1861 and 65 and uh, there's some empathetic messages i think between the yankees and the dixies as well so the northern and, no and the southern part of america i i think the characters were well played clint really didn't have to say much he's almost like an arnold schwarzenegger <laughs> in some respects he, he's just got that presence about him he just shows up, he looks cool, he plays the part well, what he needs to do, and that's it. Uh, he's, he's great. But my favourite character, I think, is Eli Wallach's uh, character, which is... The Tuco! Tuco! Yeah, Tuco yeah, is brilliant. So well played. And um, he is... He stole the show for me. Um, he is... He was called the Rat, and he certainly was disgusting in some respects as the Rat. He was conniving, but he was loyal on occasions as well. Very much a family man, um, even though he left his family to, to go and do bad things. Um, he, you get that sense uh, when he met his brother at one of the monasteries uh, that he was very close to his parents and his, his, his brother. And he was very sad to see them pass away, to hear their passing. Uh, but he's a religious man as well. Whenever he shoots somebody, he just does that cross. Um, he, he, he was a comical character in, in the whole film, and I, I, I loved it. And then uh, the, uh, the bad, which is played by Lee Van Cleef. He's, he's you know, all out uh, gunslinger, isn't he? He's been in loads of films with Westerns, High Noon. Um, and he played, he was horrible at the start. I did not like his character at all. And then I had to look at what the, the rating of the film was. It's 18. And I was like, really? I really had no idea that this film was, was, that, was that rating. But, um, and it, I understand why, because he was just a mean character who would just kill people, 
no empathy for what their background was or anything he was just a mean man basically and uh, they were all on this journey to go and get that two hundred thousand dollars uh from the cemetery uh, and they're all running towards that area but there are some uh, there's some some little hiccups i think in in the filming of it there's a few little bloopers that you can spot and actually if you look at right at Towards the end, at two hours fifty-five minutes, there is something in the background which I'll leave the listeners to to have a look out for. This is an extended version, so have a look out for that. What's in the background whilst he's uh, in a noose on the cross? That's intriguing. I'm, I'm going to go back and look at that. One of the one of the points he brought up there was how um, Tuco steals the show, yeah. and he absolutely does in this. Whenever he was on camera. Mm. I just say he has such a presence about him. And interestingly, Clint Eastwood was quite reluctant to to agree to do the third film. Apparently, his demand for the first film was he wanted a Mercedes chucked in as long as, as well as the 200,000 or something he was paid to do the first in this trilogy. This one, he wanted a Ferrari uh, uh, and obviously a much fatter, a much fatter (laughs) way, just true. But he was one of the reasons he was reluctant was because in the first two films, predominantly he was the star and he thought he was going to be completely upstaged. He has actually, technically speaking, Tuco has more screen time than Clint Eastwood. And that's one of the reasons he was reluctant to to kind of go for it. Um, and, and he was also very instrumental in making the decision to strip out, this was in general in all, all three of the films, mm-hmm. to strip out a lot of the dialogue. Uh, Clint Eastwood wanted wanted to keep him mysterious. I mean, I must admit, I also think it's probably also partly to do with, I think Clint Eastwood only really has one way to act. So I think it probably worked in his favor that he didn't have too many lines. Um, (laughs) I mean, it's interesting because you see Clint in, calling Clint, I know him well, um, (laughs) the man with no name. Um, You see him in lots of films and he's well known throughout his career that I mean they all started out in 1952 around about that that year with all their western movies all three of them Clint was obviously the most famous one but what I didn't realize is I hadn't really seen Van Cleef and uh, Wallach in, in anything else but I realized in the the, the holiday that is Eli Wallach, the old man that's in the in the film. And I was just like, oh my goodness, he looks completely different. Obviously, a lot older gentleman. But I was just like, oh, that's really sweet. And he sounds, he's not Italian, really. He's he's got he's a Jewish man raised in New York, lived in an Italian area in New York. And um, so he's actually putting on that Italian accent, I think, for the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I think that's brilliant. Absolutely. But you know what? I, I was watching, I think I recognised this guy. And uh, but I decided that the re- reason I think I recognise him is because he reminds me of a very old Gino DeCampo. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's, yeah. And that is actually what I was looking at. Yeah, I thought yeah. I couldn't figure it out. And I thought if Gina DeCampo was about 30 years older, it's it's this guy yeah, right here. Yeah, yeah. There, there's some videos, really nice videos that we'll try and put in the description. Um, but Clint Eastwood talking about the the etiquette on set was as far as way as you can imagine from what he'd been used to in the States. Apparently, for example, they, in Italy, they didn't really kind of focus on sound at all. It wasn't really a discipline. Everything was done in the dub. And yeah. so Clint Eastwood could not believe, like, you know, apparently just offset whilst he's, you know, might be playing a very serious scene. Apparently there was like 
dogs barking and kids playing frisbee and <laughs> and all sorts and it took him a long time to just understand that you know that that didn't matter it was all done in the dub and it is incredible that everything was pretty much done in the dub yeah and they, and well, when you, could, you could see it though on you, some yeah some italian speakers you could see that they were being dubbed yeah you could definitely see it and i think that's one of the things about people think about dubbing i mean it's a separate subject but people do forget that almost every film they see, a huge proportion of it, is not sound that was captured on set, it's sound that was dubbed afterwards, mm. um, which I think is incredible in itself. Whereas these films, yes, you can see the dubbing a mile off. And in a weird way, that kind of gives it this certain charm that some people, you know, associate, you know, might associate them also with Kung Fu movies as well. It seems to be there's a certain warmth that people like about that. But I kind of thought well, I can see a lot of Tarantino in this. I really can. It was so, it was almost deliberately flamboyant. The, the violence was really visceral. In the first two films of this series that I watched, if someone got shot, there was no bullet wound. It was what you would normally expect, you know, just bodies flailing around. Whereas in this film, even though it's part of the same series, it was pretty violent. If people got shot, you could see it. I mean, it's obviously not necessarily hugely realistic now, yeah. but it was it was deliberately so. It was deliberately to be violent. But as you 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 also pointed out, there was some quite you know there's quite a lot of empathetic um, mm -hmm. parts of this film. I love the fact that it was you know set against the American Civil War. So whilst you have the more stereotypical genre defined moments, jewels and shootouts and Clint riding along the horse with you know with nothing going on that's all very beautiful, you also had these quite poignant moments where they would be journeying through you know actually actual you know parts of the country that were at war and they would be stumbling across prisoner of war camps or they would be stumbling into campaigns like wartime campaigns and there's some very poignant moments where and you can tell with the music that comes in at those time at those particular points almost operatic at times i thought that was really nice because it mm. it, it made it feel a bit more than just caper yeah. yeah, precisely. It, it had a bit, just mm. gave it a bit more substance. I mean, you found that the good and the ugly didn't really weren't on any sides. They weren't on Yankees or Dixie sides. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it was interesting. You can see that they, when you, they walked through some camps or there, there was injured injured soldiers that you could see it was hitting them. So there was that empathetic side to them. So they did have a pulse. <laughs> Bad did have a pulse. Yes, like you say, they did. You're right. And and although you wouldn't expect Clint's character to be particularly have much depth, yeah, like you're right, with Tuco's character, we do get those glimpses of, of why he's become the person he's become. Well, well, there's a there's a very yeah. nice there's a very kind of one of these short yet poignant scenes is between him and his his brother, um, yeah. who both end up, you know, taking very different paths in life, I thought, which is yeah. quite nice, which you didn't yeah. see too often. But, it, but on top of all of that, it is just a good rollicking ride, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's good. Do you want my rating then? Go on then, out of ten. What do you think it's going to be? Um, well, or, low or in the middle? Well, I think the running time, I've got to be honest, I, I mean, I think it is quite a baggy film in places. And even apparently even Clint Eastwood thought it was way too long. Uh, so on, I, I would... I don't know seven. I don't know. That's what I would go with. I, I would, I would match you. Actually, you'd be surprised. My reaction last week was not good, but I think I have a newfound love for westerns. Believe it or not. Oh, that's well, awesome. 
That's awesome. Yeah, so I think I'm going to go back and look at the first two and and, and uh, watch those. Brilliant. Now, just before we move on, then it, it, the one thing you, if you are going to watch the the other two films in the series, you'll be glad to hear they are a lot shorter. I think they're both around an hour forty long. And the final note of this, just to finish on, is even though the good, the bad, the ugly is the third film in the series, in actual fact, that's just. That's just the order in which they were released chronologically. In actual fact, The Good, The Bad and The Ugly is a prequel to A Fistful of, a fistful of Dollars More and then A Fistful of Dollars. So in the actual, the correct, the correct order is The Good, The Bad and The Ugly because at the end of The Good and Bad and The Ugly, is uh, this isn't a spoiler, is when Clint uh, picks up the poncho that everyone knows him for. And that's the poncho that he, you see him in for the other two films. Uh, sorry, I said a fistful of dollars more. I mean a few dollars more. So the official order is The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, which is a prequel to A Few Dollars More, and A Fistful of Dollars is actually the third one. I mean, it doesn't particularly matter, but if you're looking at the detail, um, that's the order to watch them in. So you've already watched the first one, so you will watch them in the same <laughs> Fantastic. No, thoroughly enjoyed it. You've changed my uh, perception of Western, so, so thank you very much, Rob. I would never have done it if we hadn't started this podcast series. And now's the exciting bit. This is the bit I've been looking forward to this all week. Yeah. Right, so, so, so as just a quick reminder, <laughs> this is the point where we will be choosing the two films that we will both watch. One of us will be watching them again. Um, and who knows, depending what the other film is, it may be a new watch or maybe a second watch. Um, so everyone at home can watch along as well. Um, and I will be uh, selecting a film for Sarah and Sarah will be selecting a film for me. So who's who's going first? Well, I chose first last time. So you go first this time. So I guess you need to pick from my list first. Okay. Randomly. Okay. So this time, I mean, this is serious production costs have gone into this Sarah I've got bits <laughs> of paper in a in a shabby old golf cap anyway yeah, yeah. right so here we go let's say drum roll or rustly paper noises okay so the genre yeah is yeah adventure adventure Ooh. That's a good right. one. good one I've got a load of adventure ones so you tell me how many are on the list and I'll pick a number at random I have 20. I'm going to go for number 18. Uh, 18, 18, 18 is Aliens. Beautiful. Beautiful. Aliens, which is Beautiful. streaming on Now TV and Sky Go, and you can rent and buy from most other online channels. So iTunes. Apple TV, Microsoft, Google Play, etc., etc. What a beauty. I cannot wait. I mean, obviously, second in the series, Alien series, of which there have been like crikey yeah. four or five now. Um, yeah. yeah, I can't wait for that one. Proper. So aliens. It's a sci fi and adventure. Yeah. I mean, you could. IMDb. Exactly. It's worth noting that the genres we're assigning all these films are according to IMDb because we've had. We've had quite a long discussion about whether some genres are accurate or not. So if anyone thinks that's not a comedy, that's not an adventure, that's not a horror, <laughs> well, take it up with IMDb. That's all yeah. we'll say. Yeah, exactly. Looking so forward my, to that one. So my turn, yeah? Your turn. 
I have crime. Crime. Like it. Okay, so I have 20 films. 20? Wow. I have 20. Go ahead. I'm going to go for number two. City of God. City of God? I've not watched that one. Okay, so City of God. City of God, set in 1960s, 80s, is about a young photographer, a young boy who gets lured into a gangland turf war set uh, amongst the slums of Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. Mm, very different. Okay. And you can find that to rent on Apple TV or Sky Store. Good. So we've got two crackers, Aliens and City of God. And uh, it's good to have something new for me, actually. That'd be, that'd be nice. And I'm looking forward to watching Aliens. It's been a long time since yeah. I saw that last. Those are going to be a couple of crackers. Great. So... Right, well, I think that's pretty much us done. Um, so, yeah, stick with us. If you do get a chance, Aliens and City of God, have a watch at home, and then we can all all get together um, in about a week's time and have a chat. Super. Well, thank you very much, listeners, and Rob. Cheers, Sarah. I will Cheers. look forward to speaking again next week. Bye. Yeah, bye. bye.